Well, we're going to be all over the scripture today, but you can start in Ezekiel 38. And uh, while you're finding Ezekiel 38, I want to encourage you, um, if if you've never been through a foundations uh, type of course, or if you have and you need a refresher, I really encourage you to sign up for that. And and we need to pray for the persecuted church, so I encourage you to be part of that new ministry as well. You guys will be very blessed um, if you participate in those things. So. Well, Ezekiel 38 will be our starting point, will be at quite a few different places. But I, I did want to start off by addressing where we've come from from this time last year when I did the prophecy update in 2020. At this time last year, I shared from the UN Secretary General's 2020 New Year's message in which his concluding words were, we are launching a decade of action for the Sustainable Development Goals, our blueprint for a fair globalization. I shared how Pope Francis, in his New Year's Year's Eve address, questioned what God wanted from the city of Rome. He said, above all, God pushes us to throw ourselves into the fray, to involve ourselves in the encounter and relationship with the inhabitants of the city so that his message runs swiftly. Political and religious leaders were all saying the same thing. Above all, action, not prayer. Not seek God. Throw ourselves into action. We're the answer. Stop praying and start acting. I would like to ask the question in 2021, how did that work in 2020 for the world? Well, let's look at the most recent state of the planet address from that same UN Secretary General. On December 2nd, the UN Secretary General, Antonio Gotres, delivered his annual State of the Planet speech at Columbia University. And he started off his speech by stating, the state of the planet is broken. I couldn't agree more. Later on, we'll address why his explanation of why our planet is is broken is very disturbing. But I want to bring out the point that our commitment to less prayer and more action has resulted in lawlessness, deepening hatreds, burning cities, and an overrun Capitol building that left five people dead and over 50 injured officers. And that's just our nation. We faced a global pandemic that has crippled people everywhere and yet still has not brought humanity to its knees. Now, you're saying, oh dear Lord, what are we in for this morning? While the mystery of iniquity was at work in 2020, God's plan was moving forward as well. And so here's what I'd like to do this morning. I'd like to take a look at that good news first before we look at the bad news (laughs) and then conclude by receiving both an exhortation and comfort from the scriptures on where we go from here. So the good news is this. Five Muslim nations made peace agreements with Israel. Israel's situation with their neighbors prior to 2020 was this. Egypt signed a peace treaty with the nation of Israel in 1979, and Jordan signed a peace treaty with Israel in 1994. Now, those two treaties occurred a very long time ago and were very far apart. But after 26 years of an official state of war by pretty much every other Muslim nation in the world, something changed in 2020. Why is that important? Ezekiel 38. In Ezekiel 38, verses 10 through 12, and I have no intention of going through this text again as we already went through it in detail in our Bridges to Revelation study. But in Ezekiel 38, verses 8 through 10, it says, I'm sorry, not 8 through 10, 10 through 12, 
It says, Thus says the Lord God, It shall also come to pass that at that same time shall things come into your mind. This is referring to this coalition that will invade Israel. Shall things come into your mind and you shall think an evil thought. And you will say, I will go up to the land of unwalled villages. I will go to them that are at rest, that dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates, to take a spoil and to take a prey, to turn hand upon the desolate places that are now inhabited and upon the people that are gathered out of the nations which have gotten cattle and goods that dwell in the midst of the land." Verse 12 of Ezekiel 38 is currently true of Israel. They are back in the land. They have been regathered. They are very prosperous right now. That is fulfilled. However, the last part of verse 11 is not fulfilled. Israel is not a land that dwells safely. It is not a place of unwalled villages. Over the last uh, well, I guess in all the seven years I've been here, almost every prophecy update, I've referenced this idea that of the wall in Israel, that that has to come down at some point. It's still there. That has to come down at some point. Israel has to feel safe enough to bring that thing down. Relationships between Israel and her Middle Eastern neighbors still must change, even if it's just on the surface. They need to change before Ezekiel 38 and 39 can occur. Now, we look at Israel's situation as of today, 20 Muslim nations in the UN still do not have diplomatic relations with the nation of Israel. 18 of those nations still don't recognize that Israel's even a nation state. However, that number used to be higher before last year. Now, we have a ways to go before the situation at the end of Ezekiel 38:11 is achieved. Pakistani passports still say this, and I quote, This passport is valid for all countries of the world except Israel. They still say that. But the number of Muslim nations today who are in a state of war with Israel is 20% smaller than it was in 2019. That's crazy. 20% smaller. The United Arab Emirates and Israel agreed to establish diplomatic relations on August 13th, 2020. And if you want to hear an awesome story of how that process began, please don't listen to any talk shows or any politicians. Go listen to Joel Rosenberg's presentation from Chosen People Ministries uh, Israel. Uh, I mean, sorry, Chosen People Ministries from their Israel Whose Land Is It Anyway conference. Because he explains that this process was not initiated by politicians, but by Bible-believing Christians who met with their leader in 2018. That's how that whole process started. A few weeks after that peace deal was reached, Kosovo and Israel agreed to establish diplomatic relations on September 4th, 2020, followed quickly by the nation of Bahrain. Sudan and Israel agreed to normalize relations on October 23rd, 2020. And then finally, Morocco agreed to establish diplomatic relations with Israel on December 10th, 2020. That is a crazy number when you consider that only two other Muslim nations had done this in the prior 72 years. All of a sudden, five have just, boom, we're going to make peace with Israel. Now, while I don't know what the immediate future holds, I do expect that you'll see more of that in 2021 and the years moving forward. You know, Benjamin Netanyahu has made it his priority that he believes that peace with the Palestinians cannot be reached. He has to find peace with all the other nations around him. And as a result, it will put pressure to bring them back to the table. And that, of course... Well, we've already been studying that in Daniel, so I won't go back into that. 
That's the good news. Those are some interesting things of what we're seeing with God's plan working in the midst of the world. What's the bad news? Well, the bad news is we saw the mystery of iniquity working overtime. What is the mystery of iniquity? It's Satan's plan. Remember, we've got, we've got Satan's plan is running concurrent with the Lord's plan. Satan has no control over his plan. He doesn't know when he can actually fulfill it, so he's constantly bumping against God's plan. And until God's plan says, yes, you can go forward with this, he will not succeed. This is why we see wars and rumors of wars. Jesus said, be, turn to Matthew 24. You don't need to hear it from me. You hear it from Jesus. Matthew 24. Matthew 24, there's so much in here. Um, we're not going to get into any much at all of it today. But Jesus, when he was asked the question, what shall be the sign of your coming? He answered and he said unto them in Matthew 24, 4, take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. So when we look at this idea of what's the world going to be like before the tribulation period happens, there'll be this constant stream. It'll be like this up and down, this ebb and flow of of the mystery of iniquity trying to bring about its plan. And if God says, no, the time is not right, then it'll die down, and then it'll come back up, and then it'll die down, and then it'll come back up. And that's what we see all throughout history. We see the enemy bringing in, you know, his, trying to bring his plan into, into place. And the Lord says, no, the time is not yet, all right? So the idea then is we're going to see this mystery of iniquity at work from time to time, and there'll be times when it's much more apparent what's going on. Well, in 2020, we saw it working overtime. How do we know that? We know that because Jesus warns us of two things that will, cater- that will characterize this time period. Two things that we need to be on the watch out for. Number one is deception, and number two is fear-mongering. Now, let's cover deception first. On December 2nd, the UN Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, delivered his annual State of the Planet speech at Columbia University. And I stated he started that speech by saying, the state of the planet is broken. I agree. But his explanation of why our planet is broken is very disturbing. Basing his argument on the fact that 75% of infectious disease is zoologically based, he says this. In other words, that comes from animals. He says this, and I quote, Humanity is waging war on nature. Nature always strikes back, and it is already doing so with growing force and fury. Making peace with nature is the defining thrust of the 21st century. It must be the top priority for everyone, everywhere. Regarding COVID-19, we can see rays of hope because of a vaccine. But there is no vaccine for the planet. Nature needs a bailout. In overcoming the pandemic, we can also avert climate cataclysm and restore our planet. Ultimately, this is a moral test. I didn't make that up. 
That is a direct quote from his 27-minute speech at Columbia University just a month ago. Now, I want to throw a few thoughts out at you. Generally speaking, the world rejects the notion that we have sinned against a holy God and that he is just to judge us, in his wrath to judge us for our sin against him. However, this spokesperson for the UN, an organization that has 193 member nations, this spokesperson has no issue explaining our current problems in the world because of nature's wrath against mankind's sins against the planet. How twisted is that? The world rejects that we need to repent and make peace with God by trusting in Christ's sacrifice for us, but this leader claims we do need to repent and make peace with the entity of nature, that we must appease its wrath by doing better. Can I be honest with you? How is that any different from the priest to the rain god coming into the town square and declaring that the rain gods are angry and sacrifices must be made to appease their wrath? How is that any different? I understand the language is different, but how is it in essence any different than that? We claim that we are so evolved and we have so, we're so, you know, so much you know, more sophisticated these days, and this is what the spokesperson for the UN is saying. We must change to atone for our sins against nature. Only then can catastrophe be averted and a prosperous future preserved. Listen, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not against taking better care of our planet. I think some people, some Christians' approach to taking dominion over the earth is arrogant and counterproductive. I think it's very unbiblical. And here's the truth, guys. This may not be popular, but I am not even against concerns about climate change because the Bible predicts that catastrophic climate change is coming. Whether you like it or not, climate change is coming. In Matthew chapter 24, verses 7 and 8, after Jesus says all these things are going to happen, but the end's not yet, well, then he tells us what the end will be. He says in Matthew 24, 7, for nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines, and there shall be pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginnings of sorrows, the very start of tribulation. These are the first six seals of Revelation chapter 6. These things are coming. Climate catastrophe is coming to our planet. So I'm not opposed to taking better care of the planet. But I am 100% opposed to the spirit of error. 100%. Do we need to be faithful stewards of what God has entrusted to us, whether it be our personal belongings or the planet we live in? Yes. Revelation eleven eighteen states that heaven will erupt in thanks to God at the end of the tribulation because he will destroy those who destroy the earth. That's what the scripture says. But guys, we do not need to make peace with nature. We need to make peace with God. Humanity isn't waging war against nature. We're waging war against God. Our world is broken because of sin, but it is not nature that's responding with force and fury. These are the natural consequences of, hum of a humanity in persistent rebellion against the Lord. And because we won't repent as a, a race, as an entire people, the only solution to avert a catastrophe is for Jesus to return to put down the rebellion and to put down unrighteousness. That's the only hope. The only solution. 
Peace must be made with God, not nature. Nature isn't even angry. If anything, nature is crying out for Christ's return to fix what we broke. In Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 22, it tells us these exact words. In Romans 8, 18, it says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time, they're not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. By the way, that would be a great verse to put on your fridge for 2021. It will keep us out of a lot of trouble, keep us in the right mindset. Why does he reckon this to be true? Verse 19, Romans 8, for the earnest expectation, the great hope of the creation is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creation was made subject to vanity, to emptiness, not willingly. They didn't choose that. God put it there. But by reason of him who was subjected the same in hope. Because the creation itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of the corruption unto the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and travails in pain together until now. Nature's not angry. Nature's crying out for rescue. Rescue from Christ. Now, while we wait for Christ to return, guys, there is a vaccine for the planet. It's called the cross. (laughs) It's called the cross. You could be inoculated and you'll never have, have any, any fears of having sin, having dominion over your life again. And by repenting of my individual rebellion and unrighteousness, maybe the whole race of humanity won't repent, but by repenting of my individual rebellion against God, my individual unrighteousness, and by trusting in Christ's sacrifice on the cross for my forgiveness, I can be declared righteous. I can be forgiven. Making peace with nature shouldn't be the world's top priority in 2021. It shouldn't be my top priority in 2021. It should be making peace with the Lord. This isn't a moral test. We already failed that. It's a test of where I'll put my trust. So Jesus says, deception will be around during that time. Beware of deception, he says in Matthew 24. But he also said something else. He said, see that you be not troubled. He said, take heed that no man deceive you. That's command number one. Secondly, he says, see that you be not troubled. The word troubled is in the passive, which means that someone else or something else is causing you to be troubled. Be you not troubled. It's not don't you create the trouble in in your own heart. It means don't let something else trouble you. The word trouble here, it means to be terrified by an outcry. In other words, someone makes an outcry and says, ah, this is bad, and as a result, they trouble you. Jesus said, beware of fear-mongering. If 2020 could be described by anything, it it would be a year of fear-mongering. Be afraid of the virus. Be afraid of the government. Be afraid of who wins the election. Be afraid of the consequences of wearing a mask or taking a vaccine. Be afraid of the police. Be afraid of protesters. Be afraid of those who bear arms. Be afraid of those who want to take your right to bear arms. Be afraid of social media giants. Be afraid of banks. Be afraid of businesses. Be afraid of the media. Listen, I can give you good reasons why you should be afraid of every one of those things. And here's the problem. If I was really good at it, good at giving you good reasons, 
I could make a lot of money and make a big name for myself as a radio show host, as an internet personality, or even as a pastor. Listen, because of the pandemic, we have more people than ever looking to the digital world for their connections. And people are capitalizing by feeding your fear. They are capitalizing, making a name for themselves or putting money in their bank account by capitalizing on your fear. God never motivates by terror. Never. He does not do that. Look at James chapter 3. James 3. James asks a really important question in verse 13. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? In other words, who should you be listening to? Great question, right? Who should you and I be listening to? Who is a wise man? Someone who has understanding, who who knows what's going on, someone who can advise you, someone who can counsel you, someone who you should give your ear to. Well, verse 13 says, let him show, prove, demonstrate that he's that person by a good conversation. His works with meekness of wisdom. In other words, if they're loud, if they're brash, you should not be listening to them. Let him show out of a good conversation, his conduct, his lifestyle. Let him show that his works are done with meekness of wisdom. In contrast, verse 14, if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, don't boast. Ah, I follow this guy. This guy knows what's going on. Don't boast about that. Don't lie against the truth. That wisdom does not descend from above, from the Lord. It's from here. It's earthly. It's sensual. It's devilish. Satanic. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that comes from above, it's first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, willing to yield. That's what that means. Full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. In other words, their character matches up to what they're saying. And the fruit of righteousness, how do you know that's true? The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. You want to know how to identify a good leader or a good speaker? Look at what their words and their actions produce in those who listen to them. That's how you can tell a good speaker or a good leader. They're peacemakers. While others are chopping off the ears of their enemies, they work to reattach them like Jesus did. So we saw lots of deception and fear-mongering this year. That's the bad news. And finally, the really bad news, what I've witnessed probably in a greater capacity in 2020 than I have in my entire life is failing faith. Look at Luke 18 with me. 
Luke 18. In Luke 18, Jesus speaks a parable that we normally reference because we want to talk about prayer. Verse, eight, verse 1 of chapter 18 of Luke. And he spoke a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not faint, right? That's the purpose of the parable. Saying, there was in a city a judge who did not fear God, neither did he regard man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Here, listen to what the unjust judge says. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, shall he find faith on the earth. Now, the whole section is about prayer, and then Jesus just drops this little bomb at the end. He says, we need to pray and not faint, and here's why. You know, and then he tells a story, and he goes, God's not an unjust judge. He's so much better than that. Shall not God avenge us speedily? You know, we don't have to annoy our heavenly Father. He hears our prayers. He wants to move in our lives. He wants to answer our prayers. He wants to fix injustice. He wants to right wrongs. He wants to do these things. So pray, 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 right? But then he says this. Nevertheless, even though this is all true, when the Son of Man comes, shall he find faith on the earth? What a great question to ask. What a great question. You know, we spent 2020 focused on prayer, and boy, did we need it. I mean, that's, that's, that's what my whole 2020 prophecy update was about. We need to pray. People don't want to pray anymore. Leaders are telling us we don't need to pray. We need to take action. We need to pray, and we still do. We were faced with a global pandemic that had direct local effect upon our way of life. We have seen anger, hatred, and violence escalate to the point that our cities are burning and our own capital building was overrun. And yet, while Jesus promises that God hears our prayers and will eventually bring justice to all the wrongs done, he ties our need to pray with his return. Isn't that interesting? Jesus tied prayer with his return on many occasions. We saw that when we studied the rapture before the holidays. In, in Luke 21, verse 36, you know, Jesus exhorted us, watch you therefore, referring to his return, and pray always that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. And yet, while Jesus promises that God hears our prayers and that he will eventually bring justice to all the wrongs done, he says, when I come back, will I find even any faith? What does that mean? First off, Jesus can't be referring to unbelievers. There'd be no rest reason to look for faith there. So who and what is Jesus talking about when he asks this powerful question? Luke 21, 34 and 35. And take heed to yourselves, us, not the world. Don't take heed to the world. Take heed to ourselves. Lest at any time your hearts should be overcharged with surfeiting. It means carousing, rioting, and drunkenness, and the cares of this life. And so that day come upon you unawares. For as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Guys, 
Repentance starts with the church, not the world. It starts with us, not everybody out there. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 17 and 18, Peter, speaking to a persecuted people, says this, For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first must begin at us, what shall the, be the end of them that do not obey the gospel? He's clearly saying that the house of God refers to believers. And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? What's Peter talking about? And how? why would you even say that to people who are being persecuted? Because that's what it's going to be like before Christ returns. Difficult times do not bring out the best in people. They simply show what's really there. And in the same way, persecution, tragedy, and difficult circumstances don't automatically purify Christians or make them stronger. Those circumstances only have those results if we respond to those circumstances in faith. In Hebrews chapter 10, the writer speaking to a group of Christians, uh, Jewish believers who were contemplating leaving the faith and going back to the Old Testament way of relating to God. The sacrifices, the legalism, all that. Religion instead of relationship. He had these words to say to them in Hebrews 10, verses 35 through 39. He said, Do not cast away your confidence, which has great recompense of reward. For you have need of endurance, that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. You've repented of your sins. You've believed the gospel. Now you need to endure so you can receive the promise. And then he speaks of Christ's return. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Now, the just shall live by faith. This isn't about works. It's about faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him, the Lord says. There is no hope back in trusting in ourselves. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Guys, if the church isn't cultivating a regular attitude of repentance, then it's falling away. There's no standstill for us. If we're not cultivating a regular mindset of repentance, then we're falling away. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, it tells us that two events will precede the Lord's return. A falling away, a great falling away, and then the Antichrist revelation. Now, again, falling away can't apply to those who openly reject the Lord, the world. It can't apply to the world. They're already fallen. They always have been so. In, in, in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, I mean, it's that great text that tells us of our lost condition. It says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understands. There's none that seeks after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that does good, no, not one. There's no falling away from that. That's already gone. The falling away can only refer to those who are in the church. And therefore, do we find that elsewhere? Yes. Paul, in probably the last letter he wrote in Scripture before his death, his last words, wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3 these words. 2 Timothy 3. 
He says, this know also, Timothy, you got to know this. That in the last days, perilous times shall come. And then he describes what they'll be like. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent means without uh, self-control, fierce, despisers of those that do good, traitors, heady, which means reckless, high-minded, which means haughty, proud, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. That looks like the world, right? Not so. Look at verse 5. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 5. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick, the living, and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, Timothy. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine, with teaching. Why? For the time will come when they, who is he talking about they? What they? That they already mentioned in chapter 3. He says, they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts, they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Instead, Timothy, you do this. You watch in all things. You endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist and make full proof of your ministry. Some of our ears itch to hear that the solution to government overreach is fighting fire with fire. Start a new revolution. Storm the Capitol building. Some of our ears itch to hear that the solution to racism is showing our anger and our rage, maybe even burning down a city to get people to listen to us. And there are no shortages of pastors on both the right and the left telling us that's what Jesus wants wants us to do. But Paul tells Timothy to preach the word to instruct his congregation to ignore such fables, to endure afflictions, not fight fire with fire. In 1 Peter 4, 19, right after Peter tells them that judgment starts here at the house of God, he says, wherefore let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing. We're to commit the keeping of our souls to the Lord as we live with good behavior, as unto a faithful creator. Is man going to be faithful? Nope. But our faithful creator will be. When did the Great Commission become creating or preserving a way of life instead of making disciples of Jesus? When did it? In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 3 and 4, Paul warned of this when he told the congregation there that he was concerned for them, that they had lost focus. He says, but I fear, in verse 3 of chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians, but I fear lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through, the subtle, through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. 
For if he that comes were to preach another Jesus whom you have, we have not preached, or if you receive another spirit, another mindset, another approach to life which you have not received, or another gospel which you have not accepted, he says, you might well listen to him. Guys, that's where the church is at right now. We are in the great falling away. The church is beating its fellow servants. It's partnering with the drunken and moral and arrogant because policies are more important than character. One of those unbiblical things I've heard coming from pastors' mouths, and I heard it all throughout 2020. We are in the great falling away. Now you say, I wish I wouldn't have come this morning, Pastor Will. I'm not going to leave you with that. How do we fix this? How do we avoid this in our own lives? Well, let me leave you with an exhortation for 2021 and some comforting words. If Jesus asks the question, when he comes back, will he find any faith? We need to ask our, ourselves the question, what is faith? What does it mean to say, I believe in Jesus? Well, it's really simple. Faith is about obedience. First, by answering the call to believe the gospel, right? To repent of our sins and to believe in Christ. And then secondly, by denying ourselves, taking up our cross daily to follow Jesus, right? That's what faith is. Faith is about trusting in what God says instead of trusting in what I think or I feel. Guys, we don't need to make peace with nature. We need to learn a lesson from nature. Nature is the one who teaches us to cry out to the Lord. In Romans 8, verses uh, 18 through 25, I read all the way up through, I think, verse 22, but let me read from verse 23 and beyond. It says, and not only does nature cry out, it says, but we ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves are groaning inside ourselves. For what? Looking for the adoption, that is the redemption of our body. We're looking for our new body. We're looking for Christ to come back. For we are saved by what? By hope. But hope that is seen, that's not hope. For what a man sees, why does he yet hope for it? But if we hope for that which we do not see, then we do with endurance wait for it. Guys, if we can see what's in front of us, and that's my hope, that's where everything's going to get fixed, you're never going to get there. We need to be looking for something we can't see, the Lord his return, his work in our hearts, and building his kingdom. We have need of endurance, just like the Christians and Hebrews. We need to do things God's way, period. And I say this with as much gentleness as I can. If you're not willing to do that, then stop calling yourself a Christian. You can call yourself something else. You can stand up for good causes. But that's not what a Christian does. Christian is following Christ. When you got saved, I hope it wasn't because of the state of the world or even the state of our nation. I hope it was because you saw your own need for a Savior from sin. That you saw that Jesus loved you so much that he died for you on the cross. Because here's the awesome news, the great news, even with everything around us is awful. Those who have that kind of faith, they don't fall away. They receive God's correction, and their faith grows stronger. For in Hebrews 10, 39, the writer says, but we are not of those who draw back unto perdition, 
but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. He includes the we there, those struggling Jewish believers who were thinking about going back to Judaism. He includes them in there, saying that they are those who believe to the saving of the soul. David Goodzik said this. He said, this is a confident conclusion. We will be those who endure. We will be those who gain the promise of God. We will not draw back into old traditions or into old covenant relationship with God or any other replacement for Jesus. That's what faith is. So, here's my closing words of comfort to you. Jesus asked the question, will the Son of Man find faith when he returns? The answer is yes. Because Paul said in 1 Corinthians, 1, Corinthians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, he said, for behold, the Lord will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then what? We which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord, we shall be taken up to be with the Lord, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Will the Son of Man find faith when he returns? Yes, he will. He will. He will. So let's endure. You know, are things bad right now? Yeah. I love what what Jacob said. I'm going to close with this. I love what Jacob said to his son, Joseph. They're in Egypt. They're not in the promised land. God's rescued them from this famine. But it's a sad time. Jacob's dying. And there were many lost years because of Joseph being away, right? And he tells his son, he goes, behold, I'm dying. That's bad news, right? Right? I mean, that's not good news. That's never good news, right? Behold, I'm dying. But he says, God shall visit you, and he shall, by his mighty hand, bring you into the land that he promised to give to you. That's how Jacob finishes his statement. So are things bad right now? Yes. But God isn't done with us. Jesus still loves his bride. He still loves you. And he will finish what he started in you. So let's endure. Amen? Let's endure. Let's start ignoring those who claim to preach the gospel but go directly against the Bible. Let's turn off the talk radio and the news channels and probably spend way more or less time on the internet too. And let's get in our Bibles instead. Just you and your Bible. And let's get with other believers who are doing the same thing. And then let's do what it says. Not what other people are telling you to do. Not what I'm telling you to do. Let's do what it says. Believers all over the world thrive in persecuted environments by doing that. Let's not dishonor them or those who've gone before us by rejecting the simplicity of the gospel for another Jesus or another mindset or another gospel. Let's all stand. I heard more heresies in 2020 from people that I thought were solid Bible teaching pastors than I've ever heard in my life. I exhort you, don't listen to what I have to say. Go examine the scripture and see if what I'm saying is true. Go look at your Bible and see what it says about things. And then do what it says. If we as a church, if we as Christians will do that, more people are gonna get saved, 
more lives are going to be changed, you know? And that's how culture changes, guys. It's through revival. That's how culture changes. When you read about the great changes, whether it's in our country or in other countries in history, they're always preceded by revival, people getting saved. What we need more than ever in 2021 as the church, I'm not talking about Calvary Chapel Orlando per se, you guys are very faithful, but the church in general is repentance, revival, returning to the word, simplicity, remembering what we're all about. So Lord, we pray this morning that you would pour out your spirit upon us. I pray, Lord, that my words would not Get in the way of what you're trying to do this morning, Lord. In fact, if any words were of mine, then just strike them from people's thoughts and minds. Let your word, Lord, begin its steady work of working toward our heart and birthing and growing and watering things in us that you're trying to, to mold and shape. Because, Lord, we want to be part of that. Lord, there may be a great falling away. It doesn't mean you can't still do great things through us. It doesn't mean that our city can't experience revival just because the world is falling away. And so, Lord, that's my prayer. That's our desire. We want to be a part of what you're trying to do. You still love people. You still want to save people. You still love us. You still want to work in us. You're not done. Not until the trumpet sounds. So, Lord, we give our lives to you today. We say, here we are. Lord, we don't want to betray you. We don't want to... to get on bandwagons that have nothing to do with you. We want to get back to your word. We want to follow Jesus. We want to be obedient so that when you do return, you find our faith. We love you, Lord. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray.